0: they said we are continuing the series that we started just several weeks ago as we are working our way through the Christmas season and and the series is titled Witness His Majesty and and we all know the Christmas story we all have seen see the nativity scenes and the characters that are represented there um, and yet this year we've been trying to look at the Christmas story from from a slightly different angle we we've looked at it from from second level characters ones that, that aren't major players necessarily in in this story, but but kind of the the next level of people as as they were affected by not just the birth of Christ but but by the life of Jesus. And and we see that again it's not just the 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 ones that were directly there on the night he was born but but we we've seen again through the the innkeeper's son right through uh, through Joseph and, and even how he was kind of distantly connected to it. Um, and and as as we've looked at all of these different ones again uh, last last week right we looked at the mother of Mary and and even thinking about Mary's parents and their perspective right about the the news that was brought to them and how they dealt with it and, and how we can learn from them right of how to deal with unexpected news and and even times of struggle and and now today we we are are diving into. Um, the perspective of the shepherd, and, and not just the shepherds that, that saw the angels, but, but today we're going to look at the Christmas story from the shepherd's wife's perspective and seeing about, again, how their experience and even of, of seeing her husband and how it changed him and how it even changed their family. So this morning as we dive into to the Christmas story from this perspective, we are going to uh, read from Luke chapter 2. Uh, which is the account um, of the shepherd's experience on that night. And so Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20 is going to be what I read. So if you have your Bible with you today, you're welcome to open with me to Luke chapter 2. If, you don't, if you're here with us a person don't have your own Bible or Bibles provided for you in the seats, you're welcome to use, and you'll notice the page number is there where you can find it in that Bible. If you're with us online, we're, uh, hopefully you have your Bible close uh, close to you. And if not, you can just listen as I read it. Um, but the, the interesting thing here about the, the shepherds, and again, before we read their, their interaction on that, is that they actually were there on the night that Christ was born. I've just seen so many other, you know, um, people and figures and things that we've interjected into the Christmas story, uh, um, you know, are, are there again. On Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at from the wise men, and, and again, they were not there on the night that Jesus was born, right? They They were there after. In fact, scripture tells us that. You know, that they were not there. Um, But uh, again, the shepherds literally had an interaction with the Christ child on the night he was born. And so we're going to read this account here, Luke uh, 2, starting at verse 8. And it says, that That night, where the shepherds were staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. It will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and, and what that the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherds' stories were astonished. But Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. And the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, for it was just as the angel had told them. So, as we read this this story, this interaction, we there's again there's a lot in this this text about the shepherds and their experience and. Again, they were just doing their normal life thing, right? They were out, they were watching their flocks, and all of a sudden, this angel appears. You can see, that, again, their initial reaction, right, was one of fear, right? Of, of, it was unknown. It was out of the ordinary, obviously, uh, as they were out there just kind of doing their job, right? And they were going about their life, and, and yet yet the, this angel shows up. And, and, you know, we can see, again, so much about them and, and about uh, their interaction that night, but, but think about what it changed for them. Think about probably how they changed and how they had this interaction, not just with an angel, but, but then they went and saw that it was true, right? They said they actually found the baby, right, and, and through that. But as we think about this idea, this experience, right, the, this interaction they had with the heavenly realms and, and the actions they took that night, um, let's watch the short video portrayal, right, of the shepherd's wife and her perspective of what happened.
1: He and I have a rhythm and a routine here in our humble home. And that morning he was messing it up. See, he comes in at 712 every morning on the nose. I hear his boots hit the floor. I make the coffee. He washes the pasture off of him and we take our toast to the patio. That's our thing. He's a, a quiet man, likes the one word answers, that one. And then he's off to bed. He uh, he keeps the herd at night. Oh, how my parents looked at me when I told them that I'd fallen in love with a shepherd boy. <laughs> but um, that's a story for another time. Or never. But that morning, there were no boots. Only quiet. Quiet like my husband. Before I could get to the front door, it's... It was. It was loud. It was different, as if the front door knew something I didn't know. My husband yells for me. He yells for me. Maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's lost the herd. He's out of breath. He's saying my name as he takes my face in his big hands. He, his eyes—they're full of fear. No. awe. tears are running down his face, and he can't stop talking ranting about this bright light that fell out of the sky, and angels, yes, that is what I said, angels, hundreds of them all over the field proclaiming good news. But what did he mean, good news? Now I know my husband, the shepherd, He will never hold the scepter of a king, never sit with dignitaries to solve the world's problems, never even be invited to a meal where he has to wear a suit. But he was given the greatest edict in all the land, all the world, actually, called to the front lines by God himself to proclaim this good news. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign unto you that you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I can say it in my sleep now. I can see it sometimes, too. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God was pleased with my husband, the shepherd. His boots hit the floor a little later on these days and that's okay because he is telling anyone who will listen
0: the good news, as we see, you know this perspective. I mean, she talks about, you know, a, a life that was dramatically changed. Or dramatically changed because of the good news of Jesus. Again, his again, his status didn't change, right? His worldly status. I mean, his his job didn't change, and. But, but yet his demeanor did. She says he went from this man, right, who was quiet and one-word answers to, to shouting from the rooftops to anybody who would listen. Like, this is a testimony of how much the good news of Jesus can, can truly change someone. Again, she even see from her own testimony in the video, right, she went from, from what does it all mean this good news, to realizing that God was pleased with her husband, the shepherd, to, to, to acknowledging and, and loving the fact that he's telling anyone that will listen the good news of Jesus. Again, according to this portrayal of the shepherd's wife, the good news of Jesus changed everything for them. Not necessarily the details of their daily life, but it, it, it changed their life their perspective, right? The way they went about their work and interacted with other people. And, and the reality is the same can be true for you. Because the good news of Jesus, I mean, that's literally the direct translation of the word gospel is good news, right? The, the life of Christ. Not just his birth, but, but his life, right? His teachings, his death and his resurrection and his ascension, right, and the start of the church. I mean, all of those things put together can truly change your life. And, and yet we learn from the shepherds about what, what it takes for the good news to truly change your life. Because the reality is you, we, we know about Jesus. I mean, we, we've heard the Christmas story before. And, and yet there's a lot of people that Jesus has no effect on their life. Right, so so how, how can the good news of Jesus truly change us? Well, it, it starts with the good news of Jesus changing everything if we believe, right? And that's, that's where it starts. We have to believe that it's true. Like I said, again, we've heard the stories. We, we know the, the manger scene. We, we know that, that the ultimate gift is the Christ child. Like we know what to say, right? We know where to go during the Christmas season. I mean, we, we know, you know, that how, the, the right portrayal the you know the mask to put on so to speak right we we know what what to do but but do we really believe it again they, they obviously heard the good news it's exactly what the text tells us right I mean it's literally this angel shows up and tells them I mean they obviously heard it right? and we see in, in verses 10 11 of the text we've already read the the message of the angel was I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Again, they brought the good news, the, the the message, right, was that a savior has arrived. Right? The Messiah is here. That was the news. Right, and it was good news. Again, they they heard the news, right? But hearing and believing are two very different things. In mean, fact, we, we know this, right? I, I mean, in fact, we all we exercise this every day, right? You turn on the news and you hear the news, but then we consciously decide what we're going to believe, don't we? And yet the same is true about the good news of Jesus, right? We, we hear it. I mean, the, the message is available. And in fact, we uh, have more information at our fingertips today than ever any other time in history. I mean literally just just type in Jesus into Google, right? And you, you can you can hear about his life. But do we believe it? Because hearing and believing are not the same thing. And 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 again, but we start with with believing that it's true. And and, and once we we see once we believe it, then then it moves us to the next step, right, of this, this journey that God's brought us on, and, and it's the next step that even the shepherds had to take, because the good news of Jesus can change everything if our belief turns into an act of faith. It, it starts with believing, right, that Jesus was the Messiah, that, that, that the stories that we know of his life and of his death and resurrection, we can believe that those are true, but but then that belief then needs to move toward to the next step, which is an act of faith. Again, the shepherds' belief moved them to act. They, they again they were in a different spot. They were not in Bethlehem. I mean, the text is pretty clear. Again, they weren't far from Bethlehem. They were in the outskirts of it. I, I again just. Two years ago, I was in the Holy Land, right in January. Two years ago, and we went to the Shepherd's Field, right, and we experienced that. and And it's just right out. In fact, now it is a part, right, in town, right, of Bethlehem, because Bethlehem is just like every city; it's grown and developed, and all those kinds of things. But, but, and of course, we know where again the traditional site of where Jesus was born, and we went to that site. And again, it's not very far, but but it there it's not next door. Right, and and, and when you, you we see this, right, their, their belief—they believed what the angel said, but then they moved to an act of faith. Right, they they went to find Mary and Joseph and the baby. Now again, we think about that. Well, how was that an act of faith? Well, it, but it was. It was a huge step of faith, actually, to leave their flocks and to go and find the baby. To To confirm that what they already believed was true was actually true. In fact, again, that's exactly what the text tells us. I mean, in in verses 15 and 16, it says that when the angels had returned to heaven, then the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. Again, they've removed from their belief to an act of faith. Again, they they literally abandoned their job. I mean, literally their entire job right was to be with the flock. Right? And there's a reason why they needed this person and these 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 shepherds, right? Because because flocks can be attacked. Right? Flocks can be stolen. Right, flocks uh, can wander away, <laughs> right? There's, there's a lot of things that can happen to this valuable commodity, right, of, of sheep or cattle or whatever the flock consisted of. Right? There's a reason why they had a job. They were needed. And yet they abandoned their post to go find this baby. And that was an act of faith. Right, not, again, not, not just abandoning the flock, leaving it unattended, but, but also, again, this act of faith that it was actually true. Because if they found the baby and what they said was true, it was going to be worth it. <laughs> right, this, this was a calculated risk that they were taking. Right, will the reward outweigh the risk? Because they were taking a risk. It was an act of faith for them to leave the flock and to go find baby in a manger. And, and this, this act of faith you know, brought confirmation to them that it all was true. Right? So they, they first believed, and then they acted on faith. And, and as they acted on faith, and it, again, the text tells us they found the baby. Right? And, and it was exactly as the angels told them it was going to be. And, and now their experience matched their belief right and their faith was then found to to be valid right that it was in something worth it again this is something that's very important for us to realize about our journey of faith right as we start with belief and then we move to an act of faith and and then when we do that right we, again we believe we accept Christ as our savior that's our act of faith right that's how we join the journey of faith is is by, by praying and receiving Christ into our life, inviting him into our life, confessing our sin and receiving his grace, right? Accepting the gift. And then it's when everything starts to change. Then is when your experience will match your expectations. Now, again, everybody's journey is different, though. When, when you receive Christ, right, it's not always an instant change. Now, I, we have heard people and their experience of when it is. Even that moment they they surrender their heart to to Jesus and and they feel an instant change. That absolutely might be true for you. But it also might not be. But again, I I, we hear other people's stories and other people's experiences with Christ, and and when they receive it and, and surrender to the gospel, again, I can tell you just my own story. I still remember when I received Christ as as a six-year-old in kindergarten Sunday school. I still vividly remember that day. Yeah, my my mind snapped a picture of that moment. I mean, I know something significant happened, but the reality is even in accepting Christ at that at that on that day in that room, right in that Sunday school class, my life didn't change a whole lot. Like I went back to playing with blocks and you know going to school and and following my parents around, right? Like, like just, just not a lot changed for me at that point. But I, I know for sure that's exactly when God saved me. But, and, and yeah, as, again, it wasn't instant change for me, but yeah, I, I look at my own journey, and, and those times, there's, there are those, those, those moments, those signposts in my journey of, of where, where the change really played out in my experience. Again, I, there's uh, several people that have, I've talked to that, and it's been my experience as well, right? That when you're baptized, there's something significant that changes, right, in your own heart or your mind. That act of obedience, that act of faith, again, just is, is is confirmed in that in that experience, right? For for some, it's an instant change. For others, it might be more of a gradual thing. But but for most, it takes some experience. Right, moving through and even, we don't even realize that God's working when he's working. It's, it's stopping and to reflect back on it is when we start to see God's hand. Right, when God might just be directing you in your life, we might know just take the step of faith. And, and that's why it's a step of faith, right? Is because we don't know what's ahead or on the other side. Right, the shepherds didn't know if they were going to actually find the baby, but they took the calculated risk. And, and as we take that step of faith, we start to move, and then and then we we can acknowledge God's hand and, and and His blessing and His His provision, right, and His guidance. And and many times we don't even realize what God is doing until we look back. And and as as we think about that and and realize that again, we we reflect it. And again, that that cliche statement is true, right? That hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, you, you see things when you look back that you didn't know when you were going through it. Which is why it's an act of faith. And 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 as we look at that again, we've all um, been blessed by by hearing people's stories and, and especially the, the journey stories that we've shared as a church family when people make you know record their their testimony and, and give us a piece of their journey and, and see how God has worked in different ways. We start with belief, and, and, and then we move to an act of faith. And, and, and as God works through that act of faith, we start to see his hand in all kinds of things. And, and then we get to that place, right, where we have something to share. Right, and, and when we have something to share, again, and how are we going to share it? said one of the ways that we share it is through those journey stories. But yet we can see here, in, in and that, that was the most dramatic change in the shepherds. But it was not just their, their, their belief, not just their act of faith, but, but, but the ultimate change on them was their whole demeanor of life, right? And how they interacted with people that, that they, they moved from not just belief to, to this act of faith, but, but they were truly changed when they shared about their faith journey. And the, just even the act of us sharing is, is one of the things that oh, even opens our eyes to the things that God has actually done. In fact, the most powerful thing about making a journey video is not sitting in front of the camera, right? The most powerful thing about it is you writing out your story, right? And and, and reflecting about what has happened so that we can share it. We see in in verse 17 in Luke chapter 2, it says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened, and the angel had said to them about this child. They told everyone. I encourage you to underline and circle that phrase. Told everyone. Right? They shared. And see, as, as, as we look at this, this process, right, this, this journey that they went on interacting with the Christ child, we see this same process happen with other people that encountered Jesus as well. It wasn't just the shepherds. right? It wasn't just Mary Joseph's life. It wasn't just all these second level characters that their lives were changed. In fact, everybody who had interactions with Jesus had the potential of being changed, right? But, but at the same time, we have to make the choice, right, to, to be obedient and to follow God and what he does in our life, right? Because, again, just believing, like you said, isn't enough. We move to that act of faith, right? And, again, we see the same process play out. In fact, I want to I look today at, at one other uh, man who interacted with Jesus, and as we see the same process play out, and we find his story in John chapter 9. So, again, if you have your Bible, flip uh, to the right? A couple books over to John chapter 9. And this man um, had this interaction with Jesus. It's a very interesting interaction. This is a man who was born blind. And, and he, he was, again, going about his life, right? Like, just making his way, like everything was okay. right. And then um, Jesus inter- has this interesting interaction with him. And we're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 9, starting at verse 6. And he says, um, then he spit on the ground, he being Jesus, spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of shalom. And shalom means sent. And so the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. And they asked, who healed you? What happened? And he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Shalom and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. And they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Again, there's a lot of interesting things about this. I mean, we can think about, uh, you know, and ask the question, why would Jesus work in such an unsanitary, gross way, right? There's, there, there's all kinds of, you know, things we can ask and questions we have about this interaction. But, but the reason I bring it up today is, is to say because, again, like, think about the blind man's perspective. Okay, he, he, had, he was in Jerusalem, right? He, he had heard about Jesus. I mean, by this point, Jesus had created quite a stir in their culture, Now, again, he was blind, so he had only heard about Jesus, right? He couldn't see what was happening. And even his direct interaction with Jesus, you know, the fact that he couldn't see what was happening in front of him probably really kind of pushes this experience to a whole new level, right? To think about everything that he heard through this experience. And to think about everything he felt, right? He didn't see it coming, right? It just... As we, this hits his face, right? I mean, all of these things. This is just very interesting interaction, right? But but then we see here that that Jesus, though the significant thing as it pulls out, right, was that Jesus did this on a Sabbath day, and again, that's that's just kind of a whole nother topic and thing to go in, this is not the first time, it's not the last time that Jesus did this, and he and kind of used that to kind of poke the hive right, of religious leaders, and again, that's, that's just kind of something we'll set aside for another day. But, but, but as we think about this, we realize, the reason I bring it up is because notice that this man right, had this interaction with Jesus, and, and he first had to believe that Jesus could heal him. Right? He started with belief. Okay, and, and then, though, notice how he was truly healed. He was truly healed when he moved to an act of faith. Right? Be, um, because, again, Jesus could have just healed him. He, he didn't have to go through the whole you know, thing about mud and go to the pool and wash. And, but, but, but he was testing him a little bit by just saying, do you really believe in me and in the power that I can heal you? Right? Or, or is, it, is it just lip service? Right? Because if, if you really believe, then you will move to an act of faith. Right? And the act of faith for this man was to get to the pool and to wash his face. Now, again, I can imagine he probably really had a strong urge to wash his face. Right? I, I mean, we can, we can identify with that. Okay? But, but yet he still had to act on that. Right? It says then he gets to the pool and he washes and he can see. Right? And so, again, it was not just the man's belief that healed him. Right? It was his act of faith. And the reality, again, what we learned from the shepherds, and especially from this man, is that everyone can find healing by following Jesus' commands. Right? The belief, it's not just belief, but we have to move to an act of faith and follow his commands. And, and by the way, I will tell you the number one command of Jesus is to surrender your heart and life to him. All right? That's the first command. And if we see that, right, we, we understand that this man was, was facing impossible odds. He had no hope for ever being able to see. He was born blind. It's not like this was, you know, a disease or an accident that had made him blind. He was born that way. And yet he was still obedient to Jesus and did exactly what he was told to do. Him being able to see was so impossible that it created this, this confusion among the crowd, right? Like, and that's what the text tells us. People are like, no, he's not the same guy. Like, there's no way he can be the same guy. Right? And they come to him, and they're like, he's like, no, I really am this guy that was born blind. Like, the guy was there, he's like, I really have been healed. I actually can see you. Right? We see, again, in verse 11, these people are coming to him. He, he, he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread over my eyes, and told me, go to the pool of Shalom and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Right? He was obedient to Jesus, and that's what truly brought his healing you know think about how this man could have responded to jesus i mean we see what he did what he how the way he did respond was by complete obedience right but he could have responded very differently and then the only he could have said well the only reason i need to wash is because you spit on my face and there's no way that i'll be able to see right he could have responded with no faith at all right and, and just focused on the gross details they, or he could have argued with Jesus about, about the healing and why Jesus' terms were, weren't fair. Right? He could have argued with Jesus and said, I don't think that I should have to wash my face in order to see. Why don't, you, why don't you just heal me right now? You have the power to do that. And that, that would have been true. I mean, Jesus did have the power to do it right there. Right? I mean, this man could have argued back with Jesus about why do I have to do anything? Just do it, Jesus, if you're really that powerful. Right? And that would have been an entitlement attitude. Have we seen that in our culture at all? Right, I mean, there's lots of ways that this man could have responded to Jesus. Right? And yet he didn't. I mean, the way that both of these are attitudes we see in the world all the time, but yet this man followed Jesus' commands, and he did it. No questions asked. Complete obedience, and he found healing. And if we see the aftermath of this story, right, and as it plays out, okay, and, and uh, again, this story played out through the rest of chapter 9. Again, through verses 15 through 34, there's, there's all these, these different interactions with the Pharisees. And as they question him and, and question, they, they bring his parents in and question his parents and go into this big investigation about, is this really the same guy? There's no way that this could have happened. This is, is, and They try to rationalize away the miracle. Um, because once they, they had their minds made up about Jesus... Right? There was nothing that was going to happen that was going to change their minds. And so they kept challenging his miracles and, and challenging him on things like the Sabbath rules and, and trying to find all these technicalities and all these reasons why, you know, why they shouldn't believe in Jesus or follow him. Again, just, John doesn't really go a lot into this because it's very well established, I mean, already earlier in the gospel. And yet, though, we see this conclusion of the story, okay, and we're going to pick up at verse 24. So John 9, verse 24. And he says, Now for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should have glory for this because we know that this man Jesus is a sinner. it's their preconceived idea about Jesus. He says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But, but what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man explained, I've told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? do you want to become his disciples too? And then they cursed him and they said, you you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. So if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And they say, You were born a total sinner, they answered, You are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. I, I love this interaction. And, and because right we see that this this debate, right, that, that's going on between the healed man and the Pharisees. Right? And in fact, again, this man had no education, no formal training, and yet he left the most educated and powerful people in their culture speechless because all he did was just tell the truth about Jesus. But they, they didn't even know how to respond, and the only thing they could do was kick him out. <laughs> and so that's what they did. And, and yet what we learn from the shepherd, what we learn from this man, this interaction with Jesus, is that no one can argue with a changed life. No one can argue with a Right, they couldn't argue with this man's changed life and his interaction with Jesus, and they can't argue with yours. Again, they can go down just like Pharaoh. they can go down all these roads of, you know, historical facts or trying to disprove the Bible or, or, or you know that uh, again, we, we go down all these ways, right? Try to explain away the miracles, try right? all, all these kinds of things, but yet they can nobody can argue with your changed life. Hey, we see that, right? That's exactly where this man went, and that was the whole basis of his argument in verse 25. I don't know whether he's a sinner. He's like, you know what? And guess what? I don't even care, right? All I know is that I once, I was born blind and now I can see and that's all I need to know. Jesus changed my life. That's that's all that matters. (laughs) And when we think about our life. Think about where we're at. Think about our interactions with Jesus. Think about what's your reaction to Jesus. Do we believe that he was the Christ child? And will that belief move me to an act of faith? Right? Not, not just of, uh, an act of faith of receiving him as my Savior, and that, that's why you join the journey of faith. Right? If, if you are just hearing about Jesus and you've never invited him in life and received his grace and mercy and forgiveness and love in your life, then you can pray and accept him, right? move to that act of faith today. Right? And invite him into your life and receive his grace and mercy and salvation that he offers us. And that's the first act of faith. But the reality is this is also true with us. That's how we move forward in our faith every day. Once you've joined the journey of faith, then then be in the journey and move forward and be more like Christ tomorrow than you are today. And it's the same process. I move that God gives me some and opens my eyes to, to something new about him or what he wants me to do. And then I will I respond with an act of faith and obedience. Right? And when I do, we start to see God moving, and then I have something to share. And if you have something to share, then shout it from the rooftops. Because nobody can argue with your changed life. Right? And especially this Christmas season, right? As we walk through all of the, the fun traditions and, and cultural things and family gatherings and Christmas Eve services and all those things this next week, right, as we do that, don't forget to share about the real Jesus right, and how he's changed your life and how he's moving you forward in your faith right, and, and that you're going to be obedient to whatever step he's calling you to take in your life and in your faith and in your journey. Right, and as, as we... Think about that, and, and think about, again, whether it's receiving Christ for the first time, whether it's moving forward in our journey. Maybe it's literally just praising God for his provision and his gifts and all of his blessings in your life. Right? Where, wherever you're at in your journey, just claim it and share it and move forward. And if you're not moving forward, I just encourage you to ask, what's holding me back? What's holding me back? Is it my own fear, right? And we see as we've interacted with this, right? Their fear is riddled all through the Christmas story, and yet the angels and everybody reiterates over and over and over, "Don't be afraid," right? because God's real, and He's in control, right? and and He loves you, right? And he's, and he's He wants to change your life. Will you let the good news change you? As we think about this, I want to give you my final thought for today, and it comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and that it's run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. And that is the core of the Christmas story, right? That Jesus is the initiator of our faith, he saves us, and he's the perfecter of our faith, he's what helps us grow. And wherever you're at in your journey today, I hope that you will take a step forward. And today, again, with our kids singing, we're going to close a little differently than before. Than we normally do, because we don't have our closer song. But but I am going to pray for us right now. Okay, and, and I just encourage you again to, to take a step forward in your faith right now as we pray. Lord God, we come to you and we praise you for the incredible gift of Christ. Lord, we thank you that, that Lord we can, can put our belief, God, in, in the true Savior, the Messiah, the Christ child. And, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you save us right where we are, that we don't have to change who we are or, or, or not saved by works, but, God, we are saved by an act of faith. And, God, I pray for those that, that need to, to take that step of faith today, uh, whether it's praying to receive you for the first time, committing to the step forward that, that you're, you're showing and providing in, in our life and in our journey, or just, just that step of faith of praising you and just continue to release everything that we have to you. But God, I pray that you help us to move forward in our faith journey this week as we celebrate the incredible gift of the Christ child. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for all you bring in our lives. Thank you for saving us, thank you for transforming us, thank you for loving us more than we can imagine. And Lord, guide us as we go this week and as we celebrate the incredible gift of the Christ child this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray.